Rivers Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Thank you for uh, Steve for leading worship this morning and uh, what a great job. Even when we don't have our normal people here, we don't skip a beat. So a big round of applause for that. It's good to be up here this morning as we continue our series, Does the Bible Really Say? Uh, there's a lot of things that are, you know, floating around, ideas and sayings that many people uh, feel the Bible speaks of or they attribute them to God's word, and that's not always the case. So we decided to do this uh, series and, and, and grab some of those things uh, so that we can discuss them to see what the Bible has to say. Last week, Pastor Matt... Uh, went tiptoed through a minefield, and he, he did his, does the Bible really say women are inferior to men? And to where he made some joke about me asking my wife to make me a sandwich. I'm like, are you trying to get me killed, buddy? <laughs> but he, he taught us through God's word, men and women need each other equally. Through Jesus, God brought order to sin-filled chaos. It's not about equality, but it's about God's design and order. Amen? Amen. This week, our, our sermon title is, Does the Bible Really Say Moderation in All Things? It's a very common saying that you hear these days mod, you know, when talking about, you know, try to live living healthy or living a virtuous life. You know, it's just moderation in all things will lead you down that path. Before we get into that, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of truth. And Lord, we want to be in your truth. We don't want to just kind of get all these ideas from the outside world and attribute them to you. We want to know what your truth is this morning. So Lord, that is what we're looking for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So moderation in all things. It's usually used as a guide, like I said, to live, uh, lead one to living a, a, a moral or a healthy life. But is it spoken anywhere actually in the Bible? Well, the actual saying is not found in the Bible, but of course the Bible speaks about things that can lead to a holy lifestyle, amen? But does the Bible endorse this moderation in all things idea? This essential thought uh, is found in the work of the Greek poet Hesiod in 700 B.C. So we're talking about over 2,700 years ago, which he said, observe due measure, moderation is best in all things. I'm sure he didn't say that in English, but that's what he said. And the Roman comic dramatist Plautus said in uh, 250 B.C., moderation in all things is the best policy. So this term is usually used to promote the idea that too much of a, a good thing could be bad, or some might even actually use it to say, I know something I'm doing is not exactly good for me, but if I just do it in moderation, it'll be okay. Let's take a look at that saying logically, first of all. Are all things in moderation good? Well, right off the top of my head, no. Murder, stealing, lying, those aren't, the list goes on with things that are not good, even if extremely limited. 
So there are many things that we should absolutely not do because they're either sinful or they're extremely harmful. So this saying could not really mean all things, right? Correct? All right. Good. You're with me? All right. It could not mean all things, and it really can't mean that if you're doing something that's really wrong at a moderate level, it makes it okay. Still, moderation in all things is an idea, and it's a guide to live a virtuous, virtuous or holy life. But what does the Bible really say? That's what we want to know this morning. Well, we're going to answer that question with our main idea this morning. And our main idea is drawn from two different passages that we're going to be looking at this morning. But it says this, moderation in all things will not lead to a holy life, but allowing God to transform us will. Moderation in all things is not what's going to lead us there. If you want to live a holy life, a life that's glorifying to God, allowing God to transform you is what's going to get you there. If you're truly concerned with those we must look to God and his word, even if these good ideas are thousands of years old and tried and true, as in the world. Well, let's break down this, uh, uh, we're breaking down these verses to see why this main idea is true. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 6.12. We're going to start there. All the verses will be up on the screen, or if you want to flip in your, in your Bible and follow along. The first thing we see this morning is not all things are good for Christians to do. Paul says this, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. You see, some feel that these verses actually kind of teach that moderation in all things. Because he's saying all things are lawful for me. But then he's saying, but at the end there, but I won't be dominated by any of that. Well, it is true that we as Christians, we are free in Christ. That means that we are not subject to the law anymore. See, there were many Mosaic laws that were still being followed by some in the church at this time. You know, as Christianity was, was its own separate uh, identity, they were kind of mingling in still with some of the laws from the Isaiah laws from Israel. So the lines were being a little bit blurred by some in the church. So Paul's saying, listen, all things are lawful for us, like food, drink, worship, and other things that, are, that were severely governed by the law. But they do, those don't pertain to Christians today. That's not what saves us. So he's making that distinction. So he says, therefore, all things are lawful for us or for me. But as the dirty, filthy humans that we are, some in that church were taking that way too far. They were taking that idea and they were going way too far and attributing it to even something like sexual immorality. So Paul goes on to say in the rest of this chapter, in, in chapter 6, he's like, yo, everything is lawful, you know, like the laws on eating and drinking and even worship, but not sexual immorality. There was even some, some speak of uh, temple prostitutes and other things that were going on in that church that Paul was like, listen, when I say all things are lawful, I don't mean those things. You, there are some things done in the flesh that are extremely sinful against our bodies. That's what the Bible teaches about sexual immorality. And while we're not judged by the law for salvation because of those things, we can still destroy our lives, we can still sin against God, and we could still grieve the Holy Spirit. 
So that's why he says not all things are helpful or that not all things are beneficial for us. In fact, anything that dominates our lives is sinful and needs to be avoided. What is he talking about? Lust, anger, greed, addiction, anything that dominates our lives and keeps us from doing the will of God or worshiping God should be removed from our lives. So we could see here that as Christians, we are not under the law, but there are absolutely things we should not do. And that brings us to our first point this morning. While all things are lawful, not all things are permissible or beneficial for Christians. While Paul says all these things are lawful, like we're not judged for salvation by what we eat and what we drink and how exactly how we worship, not all things in life are permissible or beneficial for a Christian. There are some things we should not do even as Christians, even in moderation. So how can we make sure this morning that we're living in our Christian freedom, but we're also living in a way that honors God? Well, I'm so glad that you guys asked that this morning. You, you're on, you are on it, on the ball. For that, we're going to look at uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So it's clear here that not all things are good, acceptable, and perfect. As Christians, our goal is to find out what is good and acceptable and perfect to God. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing Paul says is to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Well, what in the world does that mean? Our lives are not our own. It's the first thing that we have to get over as Christians. Our lives are not our own. We were bought with the blood of Christ. He owns us. He gets to tell us where we go and what we do. That's the first thing. And, and so how do we present our bodies as a living sacrifice? We do this by spending time in God's word. Allow it to penetrate our hearts and our minds and change us. We do this by, we, we present ourselves to God after we identify sin in our lives. And we repent and we ask him to forgive us and to cleanse us. Just like the gospel, holy living is no different. We do this by presenting our flesh to him daily. This is our everyday lives, our, our wants, our needs, our ideas, our dreams, our, our passions. And brothers and sisters, we do this continually as Christians. This is not a one and done type thing. This is a lifestyle. We do this continually because this is our spiritual worship. It's the only true way to worship God. And Paul says we must do this. We have to do this. Why? Because if we don't do this, we will conform to this world. 
It's our default mode as sinful human beings. If we're not making that important and we're not making it a point to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to God, we will default to conform like everybody around us, this world. This world that tells you that you guys can do whatever you want. Just don't do it in excess, right? Moderation in all things. Or this world tells you that there really isn't a wrong and a right as long as someone doesn't get hurt. In fact, this world really tells you it's none of anybody else's business what your morals are. You just get to make them up as you go along. But God's word tells us the exact opposite. The Bible tells us, do not conform to this world but be transformed, allow God to transform our minds so that we could be more like Christ. We follow him. Why? There's, there's something called the moral argument to prove the existence of God. And it's a philosophical argument that, that many have used throughout the ages. And it basically goes like this. We know that universal, absolute morals exist. Therefore, there must be an absolute law giver. Well, what do I mean by that? Absolute universal moral laws. That means if you take four people groups and spread them to the four corners of the earth, they'll seem to have the same core moral values. Now, of course, you know, because we're sinful human beings, we'll deny them, and if it helps us get ahead, then we will deny them. But things like lying, Stealing, murdering, those aren't good moral values. No one would argue, well, those are good moral virtues. In fact, C.S. Lewis, uh, the writer of, of many things, but uh, Chronicles of Narnia, said he couldn't get past this as he was um, kind of investigating this when he was an atheist. He said this, he, this really tripped him up. And what he called it was the oughtness of humankind. Something that separates humans and beasts. It's we ought to do this or we ought to not do this. He said that plagued his mind. Why? Why is that? It's not an intelligence thing because if it wasn't a moral issue, the more intelligent you were, the more you would use that intelligence to get ahead. But for some reason, we have this oughtness to us, this moral a code that, that's just deep in our DNA, and he said that he just could not shake that. That is because there is a moral law giver. We don't make up our own moral truths, but we find out what is good and acceptable and perfect. We do that by testing it against the truth of God's word. God's word is the final authority on all moral things. Amen? This brings us to our second point. The only way to find out what is good and acceptable is to worship the moral law giver. The only way, if we're going to find out what is good and what is acceptable to God is to worship, to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, to allow God to transform our hearts and minds so that we could know his good will. We don't make up our own morals. We, we look to the moral law giver. And the only way to know him is to truly to worship him. 
And that's, again, why we know our main idea is true this morning. Moderation in all things will not lead to holy life, but allowing God to transform us will. We can see that just by doing things in moderation, while not always a bad idea, I mean, I guess if you're dieting, moderation is good, but it's not a guide to living a good, moral, virtuous life. Not all things are moral and healthy or acceptable for us to do, and it doesn't matter if you try to do them at a moderate level. In fact, if we look at our first point from this morning, that's what we see. While all things are lawful, not all things are permissible or beneficial for a Christian. I lived a good portion of my life kind of struggling with, with this idea here that we're talking about. What is permissible for me to do as a Christian? I mean, you see a lot of different Christians, and some kind of live this way, and some kind of live that way, and, and they're, you know, both groups of people are very genuine in their love for Christ and their zeal for Christ and their, their search for holiness and, and how to please God. I'm talking about things like how people view secular music or movies or alcohol or tattoos or gambling or even, you know, children's books. There was a story of, of this old pastor I knew. He said that uh, when he first started out, uh, his first church that he pastored, he was 21 years old. And he said that him, it was uh, some little country church uh, way out in southern Illinois. And he said that he and his wife and a deacon and his wife would sit in the back room with the lights out playing cards. Because somebody would get upset about that. They weren't even gambling. They are just playing cards. But you name it, and Christians have different views, Right? You may even say that I was on the legalistic side of that for a long time. And I thought that if you just hid in your little Christian bubble and you just kept the entire world out, you were being a good Christian. This caused me, unfortunately, to look down on some people. Some people that didn't exactly share my view on these things, which I now realize is very wrong. In fact, that's sinful all in itself exactly what Jesus called the Pharisees out for. You guys aren't pious enough as we are. You do things that we don't do, and you don't do things that we do. Therefore, you're not as holy as us. Now, there are definitely some things that are obvious, open sin that we should help our brothers and sisters in Christ with. But what about things that aren't so obvious? I once knew a pastor who, he had a great testimony, and um, he was delivered from that whole sex, drugs, and rock and roll lifestyle. He was in a band, and I guess they were somewhat successful, and he was kind of torn in the country, and he said that he was at the bottom of the barrel, that that kind of lifestyle, you know, was just taking its toll on him and destroying his life, ruined his marriage but that God delivered him from that. His, he was truly grateful for God's mercy and forgiveness. But throughout his ministry, he looked down on those that called themselves Christians, but listened to what he called the devil's music. I remember hearing him talk about one time how he was 
just blown away that these people thought this was a good thing. Someone was saying that they were at a youth rally and a Christian rapper was speaking and, and, uh, and about 100 teenagers came forward and gave their lives to Jesus. Now, you might think rap's the devil's music if you're sitting here this morning. But his, his thought process was, well, that's the devil's music. We can't use anything like that to reach people. Listen, just because God convicted him personally that he should stay away from that, because maybe it brought back all those old feelings and ideas and, and all those desires from his old sinful life. So maybe it was not good and God wanted him to steer clear of that so it didn't trip him up later. But it didn't mean he had the right to impose his convictions on others. That is legalism. That is legalism at its finest. Church, do not look down on anyone that might be doing something that you think in that moment might be sinful. Now again, I'm not talking about something that's the Bible's very, very, very clear on. But even then, we still tread lightly. We're not out to destroy our Christian brothers and sisters. We're out to restore our Christian brothers and sisters. But there are some things that we might find sinful and others do not. I believe that God deals with us individually by convicting us through the Holy Spirit. If you're plugged in and you're having that relationship with God and you're being a living sacrifice, he will let you know what you need to remove from your life. But we better be very careful how we treat people by our own personal convictions. Pray for those people. Everyone is at a different spot in their walk with God. They might not just be where you are yet. But on the other hand, maybe God's trying to teach you something through them. Our God is a God of grace and a God of mercy. And I was once, I still am, an undeserving sinner that he forgave. How do I lord that over anybody else? We don't teach people to just be rule followers, but hopefully to do our second point. And as I call Joe up, our second point is this. The only way to find out what is good and acceptable is to worship the moral law giver. We don't make up our morals as we go along, guys. We look to God and his word for the final say, even in the church. Let's make sure we have a solid backing from God's word before we go and sit down with our Christian brothers and sisters about something that might be sinful in their lives. Is it something that we need to even do? Is it something serious enough to have that confrontation? Because if it is, there's nothing more important. You may be convicted about something specific in your life, something God has let you know you need to remove and stay away from. But that might not be something God's requiring another believer to abstain from. Our job is not to impose our personal convictions on others. Our job is to love the Lord God with all our hearts, our minds, and our souls, and our neighbors as ourselves and we follow the word of God. This entails not hiding from the world, but it also doesn't mean we're going around like the sin police. 
we could still be a part of the world around us and, and function by being the salt and the light, by being the example of what Christ was on this earth. Yes, we must walk carefully and do not conform to this world. But we don't do this, like I said, by following a million rules. We do this by letting God transform our hearts and minds. We worship and obey the moral law giver, and that leads to holiness. And that's why we know this morning that our main idea is true. Moderation in all things will not lead to a holy life, but allowing God to transform us will. Let's pray. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning. If there is anything that you want to remove from our lives, make it plain to us this morning. Transform our hearts and minds and give us hearts like yours. We don't want to follow man's thoughts and plans on how to live a holy life, even if they're thousands of years old. We want to follow and worship you alone. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.